0: Hey, um, I'm Jared. It's great to be speaking with you this morning. It's great to have Bruce here. Um, Bruce has recently moved to Raleigh. Um, He's part of our FanTower team, takes care of all of our social media things. Um, So when you're watching great testimonies and things like that, it's often because Bruce has gone the extra mile to curate those nicely, get them up a part of our social media expression so that we can reach people with them. So great having you here um, this morning with us, Bruce. Um, I just want to take a moment before I get into the message because Lyndon had that word this morning about having breakthrough during worship, breakthrough in worship in the house, but also breakthrough um, in our individual lives. Uh, before he had shared that, uh, I was asking Jesus, you know, what are you doing in the service? And uh, pretty quickly, I got a picture of some dry, cracked ground. You know when you go out across the paddocks, um, and if it hasn't rained for eons, the soil starts cracking, and the grass is gone, and it was like that. And often when we get a picture like that, we think it's a negative thing. But in this, it, it actually wasn't. And the, in some of the cracks, steam was, was coming up. And as I looked at it in this picture that God was giving me, uh, I was straight away reminded of, uh, who's been to Rotorua? um, Man, what a fascinating smell that town has. (laughs) If you're watching live streaming in in, uh, Rotorua, um, it's just a reality, okay? I'm not apologising for it. Uh, And I was reminded of being in Rotorua years ago, and uh, back when I was making documentaries that were just secular-based, and I was doing a mini-series on renewable energy. And they had this big power plant in Rotorua that was capturing the natural gases from the thermal activity underground, converting it into energy and powering parts of the town. And as I was looking at this, I then saw people standing around the cracks in the ground with pickaxes. And I, and I had the sense that there was breakthrough to experience and the steam coming up represented the presence of God that had the powerful renewable energy for your lives. And I had this picture of people going, you know, there's this crack ground, everything looks difficult, it looks challenging, but there is this essence of God's presence rising up. And as they were, you know, often when people talk about, you know, digging a well, or you're digging down to the living water of God, you know, building that quiet places, digging those wells, building that intimacy with God. But it wasn't cool, refreshing water that I was getting a sense of, but raw power and heat, which I believe represents uh, an element of just God's glory. And as I was looking at this, I began to ask God a couple more questions. God, what is it that you're doing in the house at the moment? What is it that you're doing uh, in Cornerstone here in Rolleston? And I felt that, um, it's why I say I, I felt because I, I don't want to say this is what God said because the Bible says we prophesy in part and we see in part. But this is a sense that I got was that he was bringing a unification around, around purpose. Bringing unification around purpose, and I know that in church, you know, we, help, we all have our, our values or our pillars. How many values or pillars do we have in the in the house? Five. Okay, great. So it wasn't that he was going to highlight one of those as the sole focus, but that they there were those things are actually wrapped up and tied in a bow, which is his presence which is relationship with him, intimacy with him. Moses said this great statement when he was leading the Israelites through the desert and everything like that. He said to God, God, I don't want to go anywhere that your presence doesn't go before me. And so I had this picture of people with these pickaxes and there's this essence of God's uh, anointing and power uh, seeping up. And I believe that God was saying that as as you give him your focus, that what it is that he actually has is a unity of purpose, that you would have this this calling and conviction corporately and then in your own lives. I do not want to go anywhere that his presence isn't going before me. I am so focused on Jesus. Jesus only ever did what he saw the Father doing. And I believe that as as you begin to mature in this even more, I'm just going to pause here for a moment because I don't want to step into imagination. I believe that you're going to begin to have phenomenal encounters. I believe that there are experiences in the glory realm of, of God sending angels to minister. You know, The Bible talks about angels as being ministers to the saints. And I believe that there will be an escalation of, of heaven on earth in your own personal lives and then here in a service as well as you begin to pursue God in the heart of worship. The Bible says that, that God is after a people that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so it's not just a lip service. It's not just, you know, it's not about singing louder, but it's about having the Holy Spirit lead us and teach us how to worship Him in spirit and truth, that our lifestyles would be acts of worship. I, I looked at the picture a little bit closer and I, and I said, you know, Jesus, tell me about the, the cracked ground. And I found that what he wanted to say is I want to encourage you, if you're experiencing hard times or difficulties, don't by default, don't by default make the assumption that you are in the wrong season. Just because you might be experiencing a level of barrenness or lack or even a sense of feeling withdrawn from You know, the things that you'd been hoping and believing for don't by default make the assumption that you have somehow moved into the wrong season or you've moved outside of the provision of God or outside of the heart of God or the plans of God. I I rather saw it more that God had, it was almost like the distractions were removed so you could see what really mattered the steam coming up. And if there were trees, and if there were plants, and a pleasant breeze, it would so easily sweep aside the subtle hints of where God's presence is leaking out into your life. But when those distractions are removed, and you're looking around, and there seems to be a level of desperation or barrenness or anything, you you begin to become very attuned to where Jesus is in the room where his presence is and your prayer life shifts, your heart focus shifts, because you go, God, I, I need breakthrough because like, give me Jesus lest I die type of mentality. Then the last thing I, I just want to touch on quickly is I then had a sense that some of the pickaxes were rusty. And they were potentially tools and ways of accessing the presence of God or even mindsets, religious mindsets that had served you in the past but were not appropriate for what God was doing now. And so don't assume that because you knew how to access the presence of God or the glory realm of God or deepen your relationship with God, don't just assume that what worked in the last season for going deeper was what was going to work in this season because some of the things, I believe, were tired and old. But I believe that there was a spirit of revelation that wanted to bring renewal to our minds. The Bible says, like, be renewed in the mind of Christ. Like, like constantly having our mind renewed with, with revelation that goes deep because, you know, there's, there's layers of truth. And I'm constantly experiencing that, yes, God's like, I had a revelation and yes, it was true. But there is a deeper level of truth that supersedes that one. You know, like I ha- I love justice. You know, and and I believe in justice, and I've got a real heart for justice, and I get fired up. I was coaching a team of seven-year-olds in football at the moment, and yesterday, the other team shot, and it hit the post, and then my seven-year-old's defenders cleared it, and the other coach said, we'll just call it a goal, Um, because his team was behind, and he wanted to boost his team. I said, but it wasn't a goal. He goes, yeah, yeah, but the scores don't even get recorded. Let's just call it a goal. I'm like, but it wasn't a goal. That's not fear. He goes, well, our team need a morale boost. I said, yeah, but what about my defenders? Like, it wasn't fear. and I was getting all fired up, but I had all these seven-year-olds. I'm like, well, you know, mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, and so I I have to pick what is going to be my greater truth that I'm going to partner with. And in this picture, I had a sense of God and the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit coming around, taking some of those rusty pickaxes, and they became gold. And he's bringing a renewal. When God restores, he makes greater than it was originally. And I believe that there is a renewal for your mindsets of what it means to access the presence of God. And I believe that the word responsibility is connected to it. That uh, I know for myself, I so easily get caught up in the responsibility of managing my spirituality. And what I mean by that is, have I read my Bible enough? Have I been praying enough? Am I being diligent? Am I seeking God properly? Am I stewarding this gift of salvation correctly? And very quickly for myself, I slip into a works mentality where it becomes once again this religious rhetoric of ticking boxes so that I can appease a God who laid his life down for me when I was a sinner and the Bible says, if I was going to do that when you were a sinner, what would I do now that you are saved? And I believe that there is a renewal of our minds to enter into his presence with thanksgiving in our heart rather than responsibility to be doing what we know we should be doing. That, oh my gosh, it's not that I should, it's I can't believe that I get to. And that I, I get to, I, I believe, is often birth out of gradual experiences with Jesus when we encounter him and we get a little bit more of that steam a little bit more of the energy we go oh God you are so good the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good and it gives birth to this fresh hunger to pursue him more and it becomes this self-fulfilling cycle where we dig deeper into the presence of God because he is leading us into it um that is not, not the word that I wanted to bring this morning, but it's, it was a, it's a good prophetic word for, for you today. Um, and so I just wanted to, to bring that to follow on with, um, to compliment and confirm what, what Lyndon was saying about worship uh, creating a place of breakthrough, which is awesome. Uh, the, the word that I want to bring this morning is uh, it's called the tension. If you're a note taker, I like note takers purely from the point of view that if I'm feeling self conscious and I see someone write down something that I said, I'm always like, oh, I said something noteworthy. I remember the first time it happened and one of my mentors wrote something down and then I was so distracted by it. I'm just like, what did they write? And it was it, you know, hopefully it's what I said rather than feedback they should give me about why I shouldn't have said that thing. And so if you're a note taker this morning, you make me so happy. You help to nullify some of my many insecurities that Jesus is still working on. So the word I want to bring is called the tension. And what I mean by this is that I I find that we often live in the tension between what God said he will do versus what he has not yet done and what I'm believing that he will do a large portion of my life I live in the tension between what I believe versus what I'm actually seeing. And the tension always is, do I lower my expectations down to my current reality so that I am minimizing my my chances of disappointment and failure? Or do I continue to rise my faith back up to what God has said That he will do. And if I am to continue to rise my faith up into alignment with the Word of God, how do I do this while managing this tension? The really simple answer is that we don't manage tensions and we live by faith, not by sight. Uh, But I don't know about you, I find daily operating in that in a natural space very difficult. Uh, I am constantly trying to reposition myself to live by faith, not by sight. And it requires me often on a daily or sometimes hourly level dying to myself and living for Christ again, going, God, your will, not mine. Jesus, where are you in the room? And so I want to I start with a verse from Habakkuk uh, chapter 2, and uh, this is the only part of the Bible that I'm actually going to read out loud, because then after this, I'm going to pivot into story mode, and we're going to be touching on lots of scriptures and, and biblical aspects, uh, but I'm not a great lover of reading from notes, because it gets in the way of my personality being too confined. So this is Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to kick off with verse 2. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets So that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and it will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And I want to speak out of this verse this morning. Uh, and I want to use part of the lifestyle of David as a story illustration of how this verse can actually manifest in our lives. And if, if Habakkuk had lived before David and David had had this verse, you bet he would have referenced this in Psalms over and over and over. Though it tarries, though it lingers, it will not delay. Paraphrased, Though God won't be late, he will take his sweet, sweet time doing what he said he will do. And you just have to be okay with that. And in the meanwhile, look at the enemy. See how it puffs itself up. Have you guys ever seen those YouTube videos? One of my favorite videos I love to go back to is this frog on YouTube and it puffs itself up to about 10 times its normal size and then it runs towards the camera operator going, ah! You know, It's a frog like this big, it becomes about this big and runs at the cameraman trying to scare it and it puffs itself up to try and make itself look more powerful, more intimidating there than it is and then it lets out its war cry. <laughs> and, oh, it just makes my heart happy and I go back to it over and over and over. The other thing I do is I like to watch boats crashing on YouTube. Uh, the other day I had a really sad day and I came home and my wife said, honey, do you need to go watch rich people crashing their boats again? And I was like, I really do. So this is, what, this is what Habakkuk sang. Though God will take his sweet, sweet, sweet time, don't forget what he said because we're going to write it down and make it really plain. And we're going to make it really plain because God might take his sweet, sweet time to do what he said he will do And while God is taking his time, the enemy is going to puff himself up to make himself look so much more intimidating than he actually is. But don't worry, a righteous person will live by his faithfulness. And so this is what we have, um, the pattern of tension in our life. God will give us a word. He will give us a decree. He will give us a promise. And it's very clear. We understand it. We have a level of hope and expectation tied around it. And then all of a sudden, we enter the wonderful time called the in-between where God is taking His sweet, sweet time to do what it is that He said He would do, which we thought would happen the next day, because when we got that prophetic word and we had that encounter, it had so much anointing wrapped around it, all of our emotions came alive, our spirit confirmed that this was God, and we felt like electricity inside of us. We felt 10 foot tall. We felt bulletproof. And then over the next few weeks, few months, few years, or few decades, that sensation begins to fade as it lingers, but doesn't delay. And in the meantime, we have the enemy in the opposition of the demonic realm puffing itself up, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, chasing down our dreams, going... And this is the life of David, and this is so often the cycle for us. So let's jump into it really, really quickly, and I'm going to tell you a story. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to play two roles within this story, and that's okay because I've got a lot of personalities and they can all help me out. So we're going to have the journalist, okay? And this is before the time of conspiracy theories and fake news, super reliable journalist back in this day, okay? And then we've got David. Now this journalist, if you like, we're going to have some poetic license with the Word of God, but if you haven't read the story of David, you're welcome to go to the book of Samuel and read it, Samuel 1 and Samuel 2, probably the best two books in the Bible because they've got the best battle scenes. Um, And if you don't learn anything from it, you can just take away that if there's a problem bad enough, just hit it in the face with a rock and you're good. So we have David and this journalist, this journalist Besides, he wants to do a life story expose on David because Samuel, who is like Gandalf from Lord of the Rings, um, has come to the town of Bethlehem. And Samuel was a pretty intimidating dude. Sometimes the leaders, it would say, of the city or the town would meet him trembling at the gates to ask him, Have you come in peace? Such was the presence, the power, and the authority, and the glory of God on his life. So this man of God arrives at Bethlehem, goes to Jesse's family, said, I have come here to anoint one of your son's king. And the journalist is following this story to see what happens. I can relate to this. I've been following Lucky Tekorha's story for two years now, and uh It's just interesting to see as you follow things how this pans out. I I so sincerely hope I don't have to follow Lucky Scory for 20 years before we get to release the film. Anyway, so this journalist follows, and you can imagine David is out in the field, and the journalist goes to him and says, Hey, David, I just have a quick question for you. Samuel, who's like the most famous person in the whole country has come, He has ordered your dad to bring every son to dinner, and even though this prophet pretty much can see right through people like a piece of glass, your father has neglected to tell him that you exist, and uh, he wants to anoint one of his son's king, and your father is trying to hide you out in the field. I just want to know really quickly, as journalists love to do in those moments, how do you feel right now? David's like, ah, well, you know, I'm just going to go with, you know, no comment, no comment, no comment, as he's trying to process his emotions. And then he goes to the dinner and gets anointed king. The power of God comes on him. It says, from that moment on, he was changed. And the reporter would say to David, David, this is what a, what a crazy turn of events. This is the greatest reality article piece I've ever written. I'm going to get prizes till the cows come home. Uh, David, you've just been anointed king. I, w- I want to know, what's your plan from here on in? Because I don't know if you know, but the tallest person in our country, Saul, is currently king. And I don't know, when he finds out that you're now the king, what's the chances you think he might just kill you? Just how are you feeling? And David's just been anointed. He's just had this power God moment. He's just received the word and it's been very plain. And he goes, well, I know that what God has said, God is going to do. And I am king and I will be king and you will see it. My God won't be mocked. And a little bit of time goes past and Goliath enters the scene, and Goliath was a giant, and Goliath was from another enemy nation, the Philistines, and he began to challenge the Israelite army. And as the Israelite army, David's nation would see these giants, um, this giant Goliath. The Bible said they would fall down on their faith before him in fear. And David arrived with a little bit of cheese um, to give to his brother's captains. A little bit of nice, please look after my sons from Jesse. Here is a gift of cheese. What a royal gift! So, David, the anointed king, is now the cheese boy. So the cheese boy arrives and the journalist is talking to him. said, so, David, I thought you were going to be king. What's happened? You're just, I mean, you've progressed from shepherd to cheese boy. You're at the end of the, of the milk sheep cycle. You've got some nice uh, sheep cheese. Mm, what a good bit of taste it's got. Uh, what, what's going on? He goes, man, you've got to know what God has said God is going to do. And then he sees the Goliath. Next thing you know, David runs down there, kills the giant, chops off his head, and then the whole Israelite army joins the battle. David is pursuing the enemy, still with one hand, holding the giant's head. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to fight an army, I would like both of my hands free rather than lugging around the head of a 10-foot giant. And it says at the end of the battle, Saul is looking He goes, Who's, whose son is that guy? And they bring David in and says, still holding on to the head of the giant. I mean, how tired is this kid's arm? Imagine the journalist going up to him and why, why are you still holding the giant's head? That's disgusting. Like, well, first off, any time someone came to try and, and kill me on the battlefield, I'd be like, look what I've just done. You guys were in the cheap seats way at the back. You didn't get to see. This was your hero. I killed him. You, you had puffed yourself up. Look at him now. Moves his mouth around. <laughs> journalist says, why? why, why? He goes, I'm, I am going to keep holding on to the victories that God gives me because God's not going to be mocked. I will be king and I will hold on to his victories. You will see, journalist, I'm going to be the king. And then a little bit of time goes on and Saul starts to get jealous. And then he decides, as the journalist well knew, he is going to try and kill David. And David ends up having to go on the run. And uh, the journalist is, is tracking alongside David. He's got his nice press vest with the wee label and the bulletproof vest and the wee helmet and stuff like that. And he's going on going, David, it's been, quite a, it's been like a handful of years now. This is definitely really starting to take its time. Uh, it's not going that great. You're, you're having to run away from your family. And what, what is this? What do you call this place? Cave. Oh, lame. He says, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. Don't worry. Uh, what God has said He will do, He's going to do. Yeah, David, I understand. I just a quick question. Do you think maybe somewhere along the line you've just made a bunch of mistakes? Do you, do you not think that maybe if God was going to do it, He would have done it by now? Uh, Maybe you should downscale because you've probably made a big mess somewhere and God has pulled his favor off you because this doesn't look like favor. This doesn't look like promises. This doesn't look like provision. This doesn't look like the love of God at all. You are hiding in a cave. Is he really with you or have you made some mistakes along the way and you've ruined the plans of God? David goes, oh, you know what? I'm gonna be honest. I've been wrestling with this. I have been wrestling, but when I come back to it, I'm just not sure that I am clever enough to be able to defeat the plans of God. And I've put a lot of thought into it. And what God said He will do, I still believe He's going to do, but I I did think it would have happened by now. And then a little bit of time goes past, and now David has got all these refugees around him. And he's training them to become mighty men. And one day Saul, who is pursuing David, has been pursuing him for eons, comes into a cave to relieve himself. That's a nice biblical way of saying he needed to go to the toilet. And David is there and his men start saying around him, this is your chance. Sneak up on Saul and stab him in the back. God has delivered him to you. I mean, there are hundreds of caves, David. And the journalist gets in on, because you're right, there are hundreds of caves. What is the statistical chance that, that the king saw would come into this one? And he hasn't even got his bodyguards with him. What is that chance? And not only that, he is in the very part of the cave that we are in. This cannot be anything other than God's divine Provision David, just you have been waiting. Surely, this is God's invitation for you just to make it happen on your own. I mean, it has been years and years and years. Surely, this looks like God, sounds like God. Just all you have to do is one thing to help him out. Like, are you even partnering with him? Are you even doing anything practical? This is it. And David goes, I can't because he's still God's anointing. What God said he will do. It's his responsibility to do. And I I can't change roles. If I do God's part myself, then I remove the invitation of faith for me to believe that he will do what he needs to do and I'll end up in a kingdom that I, I took a hold of myself and then I'll have to keep it myself. I can't have that type of responsibility on me. And then a little bit more time goes past and David ends up having to leave. He said he had to go into exile into an enemy nation. He ends up living in the city that Goliath was from. Where he had had his greatest victory, he is now hiding in that place. And it says that they began, their enemy nation began to become aware that this was the infamous David. And so it said that he, he let spit dribble down his beard and began to scratch at the doorposts, pretending to be totally Insane and publicly humiliated himself before his enemies. Can you imagine the journalist going, Wow, David, it's been years since I'd caught up with you, and oh my gosh, how the mighty have fallen. If this is what the promises of God look like, I don't want anything to do with it, David. You are insane. If God was going to do this, he'd have done it by now. What do you think? David would have this conversation. You know what? What are my choices? God God is not a man that he would lie. What, what, What choice do I have? Everything is telling me that he will not do this. But I have to live by faith and not by sight. I don't have anything to tell you other than I don't know. I don't know why it's taken so long. I don't know why I'm in this place. I don't know why I don't have his favor. I don't know why I don't have his provision. I don't know why I don't have the manifestation of his goodness. I don't know. All I know is that years ago he told me this thing and he is faithful to bring to completion what he's begun. I don't have a logical answer for you because faith is not operating under the realms of logic. Skip forward a little bit of time, and uh, David is in a space where his whole, uh, all of his families, everyone that they have had living as refugees have been captured, his town has been burnt to the ground, and his mighty men that are with him on this journey go, you know what, we've had enough of this David, let's kill him, we're going to stone him. They're living in this town called Ziklag and while they were off preparing for a battle, a raiding party came through their home and their families, captured everything, burned everything they owned to the ground and David is there, totally at the bottom. He's at his breaking point and the men that are with him go, let's kill him. He is the worst. Can you imagine the conversation that he would have been having within himself, not helped by my imaginary journalist? Prompting it along. Have you ever found that when you're going through a faith journey and in the in between, the devil loves to assign a really irritating journalist to ask you really annoying, thought-provoking questions? David, I didn't think it could get any worse. Do you know everyone wants to kill you now? Your country doesn't want you. Your men don't want you. Your home is in ashes. You've lost your children. You have nothing left. And today's the day you're going to die. It says this awesome passage in the Bible. It says, David strengthened himself in the Lord and inquired, God, should I pursue them? Should I pursue the enemy? And we can put it in, in this context is that David went back to God and said, God, should I keep believing God, should I keep believing you? God, should I try again? Should I step up to the plate one more time? I am at my breaking point. I have lost everything. I have nothing left to give you. And God said, go, I'm still with you. And for David, that was all that he needed because at his heart, just like we were talking before at the start of the service, he didn't want to go anywhere the presence of God wasn't going before him. Little did David know that in that moment, King Saul had been killed. And that his breaking point was actually his breakthrough moment. It says he goes with his men and they, they, they rescue everybody that was taken. And they get this huge wealth in return and they get back to their camp which is in ashes, and a messenger is waiting, saying, King Saul, who has pursued you for all these years, who has been in the office that God has had for you, has finally died on the battlefield. And then the tribe of Judah are going, man, what are we doing? Where is David? Let's make him king. And, and God brought David right to his breaking point. And in a moment, David strengthened himself in God, when I will believe again one more day. I'll believe again. And it became his breakthrough moment. And I I wanted to bring this, this word today because it's so easy for us to find ourselves in situations where we are experiencing the opposite of what God said. And we have these really annoying journalists from the demonic realm that love to come around us and whisper little thoughts going, maybe you've just stuffed the whole thing up. I'm going to try really hard to get you to take your eyes off Jesus and to become introspective so that you can go through a downward cycle of self-pity and self-judgment, which will hopefully lead to self-hatred and through disappoint- disappointment will remove you from believing in God. I don't know about you, but these is, this is are different seasons that I walk through pursuing the faithfulness of God where everything around me It's saying God is not going to do this. It's the enemy puffs itself up. But the reality is this. The revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God always had an appointed time. He's always got a plan. He's always got a process. And from my experience, the way that I would do things, it never makes sense to me until I'm right at the other end looking back. And then I go, oh, that's quite clever. I see what you did there. I got transformed a whole lot. The person that I was when you prophesied over me is not the person that stands here today. The person that was there did not have the capacity, the intimacy, the faith, and the relationship to steward and to hold what it is that you had for me. What you had for me then would have destroyed me, but you have led me through a desert. You've led me through a wilderness. You've led me through tribulation. And I felt so often like I was on my own, but I could not see the invisible hand of the Father leading the way. You know, that He goes before us. He levels mountains and He raises up valleys. And we stand at the end of it, we go, oh my gosh, God, what an amazing thing. And then we have a season of this, and then God speaks to us, and we get a word, and we go, oh my gosh, God's spoken to me again. We're going to do something new. It's probably going to happen tomorrow. And we rinse and repeat as God has us on this journey as clay on the potter's wheel, being made into the image of Christ, that He is faithful to bring to completion, that which He has begun in us. Could I get... um, Pick the worship team up. What I'd love to do is, is I just wrap this up here. Is I want to invite us to, to stand and, and go into worship. And uh, maybe we could do that, that song, you know, I thought by now these walls would fall. That one, the one you did second to last. And what, what i love us to do is, I want us to stand and worship. But if you're here this morning and you go, you know what, I'm in that space. I'm in that tension. I'm in that in-between where I'm like, God, you're taking your sweet, sweet time. The devil has puffed itself up around me and I have got this annoying journalist trying to get me to doubt your goodness. Then as we worship, I'd love to invite you. I'd love to invite you to come up to the front. And then as you're worshiping, if it's not you but you see one of your friends come up to the front tonight I want to invite you, would you come and stand, place a hand on their shoulder, if you're their friend, and worship over them. As they stand there, that the body would stand around them and would worship over them, testifying, I know God is good over your life. I know He is faithful over your life. I know that even though it tarries, it won't delay. There is an appointed time for what God is going to do. Even though you cannot see it, feel it, He is holding your hand that you would worship over them as they stand in the tension, living by faith, not by sight. So if you need prayer, you need to be worshiped over, then come up the front. If you see your friends responding, then come stand with them. Awesome.